PyPy is a fast, compliant, alternative implementation of Python. CPython is implemented in C. PyPy is implemented in Python. What does that mean? And how do you test something as huge as an alternative implementation of Python? Let's find out. Welcome to Test and Code. Well, welcome to Test and Code. Today I've got Carl on, and I'm not going to try to pronounce your last name, Carl. Hi, Brian. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's a bit of a, a tricky name for non-native speakers. It's uh, Bolztai. What nationality is that last name? Yeah, so it's uh, I'm from Germany. I live in Duisburg, Germany, which is close to the Dutch border. And so the, the second half of my last name is actually sort of close to Dutch. It means off the oak. Okay. It's, that's the part that I get from my wife. Okay. Um, so yeah, so I'm, I've been I've been to Germany several times, but usually around Munich. Uh, right. So that's a little, little bit different part of Germany. Uh, well, welcome to the show. Thank you. Other than living in Germany... Um, we're going to talk about PyPy a bit, but first, um, like, what do you do? What's, what's some background about who Carl is? Yeah, thank you. So, um, uh, yeah, I've been a PyPy core dev since 2005 when I was still a math student. And uh, it's a bit, I mean, 17 years is a bit of a ridiculous time span, but uh, I've been uh, involved since then. Uh, I work half-time at a local university where I teach um, a Python introduction to non-CS majors. Um, oh, cool. And apart from that, I have two little kids who are two and five, who I primarily take care of. Okay. So non-CS people, so who is that usually? I mean, it's this, it's this elective that you can just sort of take out of interest. And um, I get students from basically every major at the university, like medicine, um, all kinds of humanities, and uh, of course... Um, STEM people as well, uh, like math and physics is, is pretty common, uh, but it's, um, I mean, one could think that there wouldn't be so many humanities people there, but uh, it's actually, um, it has been pretty well accepted for, uh, for like philologists and philosophy majors and history majors and stuff like that. That's awesome. I, I have a, uh, my oldest daughter just finished uh, college and during her high school and college years, Whenever we would have uh, other kids over, I would encourage everybody, uh, all kids, to take no matter what your major is, to take uh, to take at least one programming class and preferably right. Python. Right. Yeah. That. I mean, it's it's kind of the obvious language to take, right? So. Well, it is now, and that's pretty cool. Right. Um, but the uh, and I just tell them uh, if I, I try to convince them with money. Um, if you've because I said you don't need to be a programmer, but if you are if it, all things being equal, if somebody's thinking about hiring you, um, and somebody versus somebody exactly. else, and you also can program, that that potentially is a benefit to the employer. So why not hire you? Right. It's it's a pretty fun class to take, right? Because since it's an elective, uh, I mean to teach, because it's since it's an elective, you know that only motivated students will be there. So uh, nobody has to take the class, and and, and that makes oh, it that's an really a lot of fun. Well, man, I'd love to dig into that sometime. But um, but we want to talk about PyPy. So um, <laughs> um, you've been involved. I you said that in a, in an article in the article you wrote, which I'm going to refer to later, and we'll link to. 
that uh, Pi Pi was from 2004 and you started like a year later. So it was pretty young in the project when you started. Right. I mean, it, it was still this, I mean, when I got started, it was already this relatively hip thing. Um, so lots of buzz around it and, and people like talking about it at Europython and conferences and, and having these sprints. And then uh, in, in some semester break, where I was a little bit fed up with my uh, math studies, uh, I decided to sort of check it out and, and do some coding and then uh, started uh, like talking to them on the mailing list. And then pretty soon I, I got invited by Holger, actually, Holger Kreckel, who started PyTest, um, to like visit him during a weekend. And so I took the train and, and went to Hildesheim and met him. And we, we did a week, we spent a week, weekend hacking on stuff. And, and then I, Became became pretty involved quickly, and and, and in fact, I uh, soon after I I dropped out of university to uh, work for Holger, and um, yeah, um, they they had this big um, chunk of EU funding at the time, like research funding, and with a couple of universities and a couple of uh, companies involved, and so uh, Holger's company Malinux employed me for a, a while to to be a like to do PyPy full time, and, and that's kind of how I got oh, started. Wow. So you, but you don't do PyPy full time now. Do you? Um, so I teach, and all the time that I, I mean, I have a fifty percent contract, and so all the time that I don't spend teaching, I can work on PyPy, or I mean, basically whatever researchy things interest me. I'm, I'm, um, I yeah. mean, my official title is like research employee, um, and that means I have some amount of teaching that I'm supposed to do, and uh, apart from that, I can do researchy things. Nice. Okay. So I mean, uh, there, it's not it's not many many hours per week, right? But it's some, and and that's a pretty great situation. But okay, so you've been well, you've been doing it for a while. Is are you sick of it yet, or are you pretty excited about <laughs> PyPy still? Yeah, it's kind of it's it's it comes and goes. I mean, no, I'm 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 overall I'm still pretty excited. It it, it has I mean, some bits of the technology are really great. Some bits uh, show their age a little bit, right? I think we'll we'll get into some of that later, maybe. But yeah. um, I still think it's a it's a relatively cool project uh, in the Python performance space, and despite a lot of newcomers, I think um, it gets a lot of the fundamentals really right. And not um, I'm not really that convinced that uh, all of the new ones are there yet. They they might be getting there, but uh, they still have to kind of show that. <laughs> so, what is PyPy? Right, PyPy means Python in Python, right? And maybe we can we can be a little bit precise about terminology here because Python, uh, I mean, the term Python is really used to um, to mean two different things. On the one hand, it's Python the language, um, which like exists as an abstract entity somehow. But on the other hand, um, when we say py Python, we quite often also mean like C Python, the, the default implementation that almost everybody uses. Uh, which yeah. um, in the beginning that was just called Python, but then when other implementations showed up. Uh, people started using the term C Python because it's written in C to distinguish the two. Um, okay, so PyPy is, um, it got started as this idea, well, Python is so great, why is the language itself not, like, why don't we write the language in itself? Because it's, it's, we, we all like the language and, and obviously we should also use it to implement the language that we all like, right? Um, yeah. And in the beginning, it wasn't really meant to be that this practical thing, but then over, over time, it, enough technology was sort of added to make it a, a really viable and, and fast practical implementation. So um, 
a bit more concretely, what does it mean? We, we, are, we, ha we have an implementation of uh, Python 3.9. We always lag a little bit behind CPython versions because uh, CPython has a lot more devs and, and it's moving quickly. But we try to sort of fall not too far behind. Uh, so we implement uh, Python 3.9. And the language that we write this implementation in um, is, is actually a subset of Python. And uh, this subset is called rPython for restricted Python. And it's a little bit weird because it's um, actually a subset of Python 2. And um, that, okay. I mean, for, for somewhat annoying and uh, complicated reasons. But uh, so um, what does, uh, I mean, we, we can talk about how rPython is restricted. And it's restricted in such a way that you, uh, an, a, a program is valid rPython if uh, we can infer all the types of all the variables that, are, um, that appear in this, this program. Um, okay. And um, that means we can take an, uh, an RPython program and we can compile it to C, since we can find out all the types in the program. Um, we can take this RPython program and turn it into a C program and then uh, use a C compiler to, to turn it into a binary. And since Sounds our, like in, yeah, as an right? example, in normal Python, mm -hmm. I can have x equals 5, and then in the same function, I can assign x to be a string with hello in it. And in C, I can't do that. Is exactly. RPython like that? Um, yeah, and, and RPython would say, I cannot infer a single type for X, um, okay. like five and, and a string aren't compatible. And so I refuse to compile it, to try to compile the program to see. Okay, got it. And I mean, nowadays we would probably use like type annotations, but when we got started, those weren't around yet. So it's all inferred. And, okay. Um, right, so... so uh, where are we? we? We have this Python implementation in RPython. We can compile it to C. And then afterwards, we have an interpreter for Python uh, in C again, right? a little bit like C. Yeah. And so, so what's the difference? Like, the interesting bit is that while we take our implementation for Python and compile it to C, we can sort of insert automatically a new component. And this comp component is a just-in-time compiler for the language um, Python that our uh, implementation uh, can run, and um, this is kind of this is kind of the thing that really makes PyPy interesting, because writing an interpreter in a slightly weird language is not really that different from writing like writing it in C, right? But the fun part is that um, since uh, since we can insert this JIT, comp JIT compiler, we we in the end get an implementation of Python that is significantly more performant than CPython is. Okay. Now, just to be clear, the Python that I, the Python 3.9 that I write that I can have, or the Python 3.9 syntax mm -hmm. that I can have PyPy run, mm -hmm. that Python doesn't have to be in Absolutely. R Python. That's right. just normal yeah. Python. Okay. Right. So, so the, the R Python language is really an implementation detail somehow. Right? Yeah. Okay. You, you so could also imagine that we do it in, in Java or, or something. So the user of PyPy doesn't have to care about that. They just absolutely okay. However, we do have to care about some stuff. Um, so we, uh, it doesn't do everything that normal Python does. Is that correct? Um, yeah, that's a. I mean, it's supposed to basically behave exactly like normal Python as long as you write pure Python code, right? And then right. Um, it gets a little bit more complicated when you're trying to write, uh, use C extensions, because nowadays you can use a lot of C extensions, but we don't really support the full uh, C API that CPython supports. 
So we okay. emulate it. We and we emulate like maybe eighty percent of it. But um, yeah, uh, there's some there's some function C functions that we don't completely support. Okay, so like one of the most well, I guess a popular one is stuff like NumPy. Um, right. Is that something that's been converted and usable in PyPy? Yeah. Or but we... yeah, and NumPy has been like uh, NumPy works, and okay. uh, it's been this kind of mixture. We've we've been adding C API functions that NumPy needs, and also changing NumPy a little bit <laughs> to make okay. it not use the ones that we don't have that are very hard to add. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's fair. Um, okay, so just uh, uh, going to uh, we want to get to testing a little bit. But I, <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, but I no, but I want to ask a, a little bit. Um, if if this is uh, Python three nine, it runs there, most stuff except for some. You you got to be careful on some C extensions, maybe. Mm -hmm. um, but what sort of things would somebody use PyPy for that I, they over normal C Python? Right. Um. I mean. So what we always say is that um, if you have performance problem in Python and you're not super dependent on lots and lots of C extensions, then it's a very cheap thing to try um, to just run the program in Python uh, in, in PyPy and see whether performance in, improves. And uh, in a lot of situations, it does. Right. So there are a lot of um, if, if you really have very algorithmic and sort of doing lots of uh, numbery things. And then it's it's quite cheap to just uh, replace the Python uh, command with the PyPy command, and uh, the program should behave the same. And ideally, it, it just runs a lot faster. Um, of course, okay. it depends uh, a lot, and sometimes it doesn't work, and sometimes it's not faster. But uh, it's definitely a cheap experiment that you can uh, try if uh, if you have something that 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 is mainly algorithmic and uh, should be faster somehow. Okay, so since you since it does comply with this three point nine mm -hmm. spec, um, any any valid Python three point nine program should work. I mean, if right. it's it, especially pure Python stuff, right? And um, basically, if it doesn't, then um, it could be a bug, right? Um, I mean, if if some pure Python doesn't work, just submit an issue and we will fix it. Um, if it's not faster, we also consider those bugs, right? If you have some pure Python code that um, that uh, you think should just be like you have a JIT compiler, it should be it should run this much more quickly. Then you can also just file an issue, and we uh, will look into it and try to figure out what uh, what's going on and and why we can't execute it as quickly as uh, one would hope. Well, and hopefully somebody that's trying this out would run their very complete test suite against right with, uh, both yes. their their code on both for packages right yeah and um, and we see that increasingly people are doing that and and just add pypy to their github ci runners um pypy is available on um github actions so it's not that complicated oh, wow. to add it uh yeah they okay. always they have always slightly old versions so uh, that's one uh, of pypy that's sometimes a little bit annoying and the other thing is that um PyPy is actually worse at running tests because the JIT is really good at uh, running things that you do a lot, right? I mean, it's oh, really yeah. good at speeding up loops, for example. But if you if you if you have unit tests, then you mostly run every code just once, right? And yeah. um, that's kind of like the worst case for a JIT compiler. <laughs> and, um, and then if you add coverage, for example, it gets even worse because coverage is also kind of a bad case for the JIT. 
Um, okay. So the, I mean, that's actually some. That's like one of the things that I want to work on this year is sort of trying to get uh, the developer experience when using PyPy to be a little bit better. Um, because yes, we we often get this feedback. Oh, I've I've tried to add it to the runner and it's four times slower than CPython. Am I doing something wrong? Is PyPy broken? Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, basically tests aren't really great benchmark. That's... Right, like you said, with a a very an idealized test suite would validate every bit of your code once. Um, right. So, yeah, and. and and I mean, already every test function runs exactly once, right? Uh, unless it's like parameterized or something. Um, yeah. So that's that's where the problems already start. Yeah. Okay. So um, one of the things we want to talk about is testing of PyPy because mm-hmm. I, if I want to use it, I'm going to trust that it's being well tested. And it's you guys test the heck out of this thing. Um, so what is the testing story around PyPy? Yeah, I mean, sort of historically, it's been really deeply sort of ingrained in the culture of the project. So when, when the project was started, um, there was all this extreme programming and, and agile, agile software development. They were super hip and just sort of getting started and like TDD. And, um, and the people that started the project um, really liked uh, some of these approaches and sort of tried to develop the project in a test-driven development uh, style right from the start. And um, yeah, we we mentioned it really briefly earlier, but uh, Holger Krickel, who was one of the uh, founders of PyPy, um, got annoyed. I mean, when the project started, we were using unit test, but then the devs got annoyed by the shortcomings of unit tests that I don't really need to tell you about. Um, <laughs> and then uh, Holger, out of that frustration, started PyTest. And so... Um, and that's the history of where the dot came from, because... so. When I started using PyTest, so there was a discrepancy of whether or not there was a dot with right. Py.test or PyTest. Yeah, there was a PyLib originally, which, which just had the like import Py. That, that was a little bit of a, a weird yeah. decision uh, in, in hindsight, but you know, hindsight's 2020. So, but uh, yeah. yeah. So historically, the project were, projects were quite intertwined, and, and one of the funding rounds also explicitly had like money for both for improving PyPy. As well as uh, like making PyTest better. Oh, nice. Um, okay. Right. Okay. So um, yeah. So so that's kind of sort of um, it's basically deep. What I was trying to say is that the idea of, the idea of testing is is culturally deeply embedded in, in how the project has been operating. Yeah. Let's pause for a second. I want to ask a question about that because it's really amazing. This this story of using TDD and and uh, you you mentioned in the article even uh, pair programming. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. Is that this is something difficult with an open source project? And in two thousand four, it would have been very difficult, right. Unless you guys were sitting right next to each other. Yeah. So um, one interesting bit of about Piper is that it's a, a fairly European project, and um, it got started by reading by um, at a sprint at a um, the place where Holger lived. He lived in this uh, big uh, house with. Uh, lots of people in, in there, and so he invited a couple of um, European uh, Python developers to come there for a week and sort of have a sprint and and uh, do TDD and pair programming to get the interpreter off the ground. And okay. then for a while, um, they were really mainly meeting at conferences and like having sprint days after that. Um, and 
Um, okay. So, so yeah. pair programming during sprints totally makes sense yeah. and is probably a great way to go. Right. Um, I mean, it, it has been a super uh, useful uh, thing to do for the project because it's a, it's a great way to get newcomers um, like involved and started. Yeah. Um, so is that still the case? Is PyPy development? Well, I mean, still... during the pandemic, <laughs> it hasn't yeah. been the case, right? Okay. But uh, so until like two or three years ago, we were still having sprints like yearly or or um, for a week or or maybe twice or three times a year, and but uh, mainly in Europe and sometimes after PyCon, um, and I mean it's it's a bit of a mixed thing, right? I mean because you need to. You need to be able to to travel there and and then afford to to stay at one of these places, which um, is not really true for everyone. But right, um, okay. So you guys weren't doing remote somehow remote it's, air programming. I anymore. still think that uh, we do this more often than say C Python. Um, okay. For example, when we have newcomers and somebody really gets uh, invested and interested, I, I'm trying. I'm always trying to find some time to like pair with them for half a day to really get them started, because wow. I find that it's it's a much more efficient way for for new people to sort of get into how we do things than just sort of having very randomly figure things out on their own. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I guess. And even uh, projects that, I mean, even a corporate projects that don't, don't normally do pair programming. That's a, they don't call it that, but that happens all the time. New person comes on. Um, they're confused about some code, so you you spend quite a bit of time just looking at code together and talking about it. So, right. Yeah. I mean, I can um, really recommend it. Um, even I mean, for open source projects, because it's a, it's just a very efficient way to like get somebody started and and get over this initial hump of, I'm lost and confused and don't know anything. Right. Uh, which yeah. which can be a very frustrating uh, experience when you're when you're trying to get into something new. Okay. So uh, aside from that, so that's um. So that's some, some cool history around it. But there's all, what are the different ways that PyPy is tested then? You've got, um, you mentioned a few in the article. Right. Um, so actually, when I was writing the article, I, I kept coming up with more and more, but uh, sort of, <laughs> uh, and we, yeah. Um, the, the two main ones that um, sort of I learned when I joined the project that are still around um, are interpreter level tests and application level tests. And the ideas of, of these two is that um, so the interpreter is written in R Python, which is based on Python two. So you can write unit tests for all the logic and the classes and the algorithms in the interpreter by writing just completely regular PyTest um, test files that just directly access um, these things as Python code. Right? It's just Python code. So you write some PyTest uh, based on Python two uh, functions that just unit test. Okay. Um, and and so that's that's relatively straightforward, but uh, it's something that doesn't really have an equivalent in, in C Python because in C Python there is no unit test that that uses a C based unit testing framework. Right? Okay, um, and which which would kind of be the equivalent because the um, um, yeah it, it it's code that really runs at the level of the implementation, which in C Python would be C, and for us it's Python two. PyTest doesn't support Python two anymore. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, is, we, is that an issue? It's we we vendored the last version basically. Um, oh, okay, that makes sense. You have an example that of of an example unit test for Py for PyPy mm -hmm. uh, of testing uh, interpreter level testing hash. So mm -hmm. these are 
at least in this example, this is a pretty simple case. Uh, this isn't right. using a whole bunch of complicated pytest stuff. Right. Yeah, and and indeed we don't. Like, I mean, um, a lot of the, the the sort of very modern pytest uh, features, um, like fixtures and so on, um, they didn't really exist when we started, <laughs> and so we 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 use a, a relatively old style of um, of pytest. Uh, Usage. Right, but it's still right. still fairly. I mean, some okay. So back in back in the day, it's still like a, a test function with test underscore something. Right, and you do some code and put some asserts right. in there. It's yeah, one absolutely. of the beauties of you can still do that, and it's one of the beauties of Pytest is that right. it's very easy to read. So. Exactly, and you can write nice asserts and don't need to use obscure methods. And um, yeah, yeah, nice. Right, so so that's one that's one thing that's that, and we use that style particularly if we want to use uh, if we want to write unit tests that sort of um, access the internals of some object that um, that occurs in the interpreter. Right? So if we really want to make sure that oh, if you call this function, this happens, and uh, you can inspect this attribute to make sure that the, the state is set up exactly right and, and that kind of. Thing. Um, and then the other style of um, uh, of tests that we have is, is called an application level test. And it's called that because it, it runs on the same level as the application that our interpreter is running. And that means um, it's written in Python 2 and it, uh, in Python 3 and it runs on top of PyPy, right? And it okay. runs on, on top of PyPy in a very specific way because we, um, PyPy is a, a Python program. I mean, we can also bootstrap it to C, but we can also just run it as a Python program. So we run these tests kind of by running this stack. Uh, at the bottom, we have a Python 2 implementation, which runs PyPy, the Python program. And on top, we run the application level test. Right. OK. And, yeah. yeah. And we do that if we, um, uh, every time we can, right? because those are much easier to understand and, and much easier um, sort of to um, yeah, to see what they're doing because they do not access all uh, any of the internals of the objects. In, they they cannot. Right? They're just regular yeah. Python code. So in order to to test like the hash of an int, you would really say, um, I don't know, assert that the hash of forty two is forty two. Okay. And is it? Um, yeah, go ahead. Is that the hash for forty two? Yeah. It um, is. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I would fail my hash, uh, my that test, and yeah, I mean that, that's an implementation detail, right? It's it's a very it's a very precise way to test the hash. I mean, somehow, okay. somehow the property that you want your hash to fulfill is not that precise, but um, yeah, but yeah, right. Uh, but the so a couple of things like uh, were interesting in that in that discussion uh, to me. The that you would. Um, at first, it was surprising to me. It would make it make sense to want to run the tests in the in a, uh, just on top of Python, mm -hmm. uh, because like for instance, you could if there was a failure, you could step through it easier that way, right? Right. Exactly. I mean that that's one of the fun things. Um, so if you have a crash, something that would be a segfault in C Python, um, if you're running uh, PyPy like in this interpreted mode where it's running on top of some other Python implementation. Um, you can just use your regular um, PDB on the underlying uh, Python in order to sort of see where things go horribly wrong. 
and yeah. you can use all the you can all use all the tools that you sort of uh, know and understand um, in order to yeah. debug the problem. And the other part that was surprising to me was that that's not the only way to run PyPy. That PyPy is uh, bootstrapped to C. Is that is that the normal way people run PyPy? Is a yeah, I mean, if you like, if you want to test it, you don't want to bootstrap it first because the bootstrap is a relatively like this whole type inference thing that we talked about earlier, and, and the JIT insertion. Yeah. That's a relatively time-consuming pro process. So that's one of the one of the annoying properties of PyPy is that compiling it to C takes quite a while, like thirty-five minutes or something. And so you don't want to wait for that until you can run unit tests. So we want to run it in this double interpretation mode. But okay, uh, what am but what am I compiling to C? Am I right, compiling the the PyPy uh, to C or my my application? No, you um you're it's it's basically very similar to um how you how you make the C Python binary. You okay. run some progress, uh, some process, and and the end you get a binary that. Um, okay, it's uh, it's the right. okay. It's the interpreter. You don't you don't you never need to compile your application to. Okay. Um, the, got it. I mean that part is relevant if you want to work on PyPy. With PyPy. I would, it probably was obvious to everybody else. Who's no, no. Uh, I mean, I think I mean the, PyPy is a little bit complicated because we're not used to sort of having Python on all the levels of the stack. So um, <laughs> yeah. just just please interrupt me. Um, yeah. If yeah. yeah. So one of the things I think is interesting is the um, that you also take advantage of the the C Python test suite. Mm -hmm. Right. So. I mean the the two the two uh, levels we talked about so far interpreter level tests and app level tests are things we write ourselves during the development process and we choose the two depending on whether we need to sort of look into objects or not and but then we also have the C Python test suite in the background which C Python is using uh, when they're developing new features and and if a new feature is added in C Python they add tests that. Uh, make sure that the feature works, and if they fix a bug, they also add a test that shows that something is broken. And so we use this existing C Python test suite sort of as a as a kind of compliance test suite that we can sort of yeah. uh, use to find out whether we're implementing the whole language correctly. Right. Yeah. And so but, yeah, go ahead. But, but it's interesting that that you point out in the article that there's some issues with that. Um, right, because I mean. Um, it's not like there's no standard body for, for Python, right? So uh, the, the test suite is really just whatever CPython uh, found useful in its development gets added as a test. But not all of these tests are really perfectly useful for us for, for like a couple of reasons. One of them is that they're really very, very precise about some things, like for example, error messages. Mm, okay. And that's sometimes a little bit annoying because we need to sort of replicate every little detail about every error message. Um, <laughs> even though error messages are sort of kind of explicitly taken out of uh, what what a, a valid Python implementation needs to sort of do, right? Right. Um, and the other thing is, we, we didn't really talk about that yet, but uh, one of the sources of difference in PyPy and CPython is that CPython uses reference counting to uh, delete its uh, like objects that are no longer used, and PyPy doesn't. PyPy has a like proper quote-unquote garbage collector. And that means things that have a underscore underscore del method um, get collected later than in CPython. Like CPython can yeah. directly discover if like a file goes out of scope. Like if you like, you don't use a with block, 
um, the file still gets closed if it goes out of scope in CPython, right? Yeah. And for us, it doesn't. For us, it only gets um, uh, closed uh, when the garbage collector runs next. And oh, okay. um, some of the CPython tests rely on that. So there are some CPython tests that basically open a file and then check that it was closed successfully uh, automatically. And uh, in PyPy, that doesn't happen. And then um, you need to basically insert calls to DC Collect to make sure that the PyPy garbage collector has a chance to catch up. Um, okay. Right. Interesting. And I mean, in, in, real, in, like in, in real Python code, you would just use a with block nowadays. Uh, I mean, that's, that's the correct yeah. and, and proper way to do it anyway. But uh, in CPython, they have tests to make sure that even if you don't, it still works, right? Okay, so if I'm using the nor the normal way to use exactly open files with a with block now, mm -hmm. um, if if I use that in PyPy, it'll close it after right. the with block. Absolutely, closes. yeah. Okay, it's just awesome. If you write bad code and say open and there's there's no close and no with block, then um, it's it might stick around for a while. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, um, right, but I mean the, the CPython devs, uh, I'm really thankful for that. They have been really great about fixing these things. So okay. um, basically, we have a patched version of the standard lib, which which has a, a fairly small amount of like uh, patches applied on top, and some of the patches are in the test suite. And occasionally, people I mean, sometimes we submit it ourselves as pull requests, but then also sometimes people show up and and say, "Oh, what are the differences? Where do we need to insert uh, like collect calls?" And uh, a couple of tests have been declared uh, implementation dependent. So the Standard lib test suite has a has a decorator now that says this test is really too precise and too obscure, and uh, other implementations don't have to pass it. And then and you can apply a C Python only decorator to that. Oh, um, that's nice. Right. Yeah. Wait, Spark, a C, an implementation detailed decorator. I didn't know unit test had decorators. Uh, no, no, that's part of the it's part of the uh, the test support module that uh, C Python has. That's oh, okay. On, Built on top of unit test. It's not. It's not part of the the regular unit test module. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, CPython has a, a huge amount of their own testing infrastructure. Um, in in really? test support. Yeah. Ah, so, I didn't know that. Oh, uh, interesting. I mean, for example, they they, they also have this t this test C extension module that that exists only, that like that doesn't get installed uh, if you if you install a Python interpreter. It's like underscore test C API module or something like that. Hmm. And uh, they use that to sort of make sure that some of the details, like to kind of write unit tests for, uh, yeah, for, for some of the C APIs. And then we've got like one of the reasons why I'd use PyPy is because it's faster. So you have testing to make sure it stays faster, right? Right, exactly. Uh, and, and then that is actually pretty difficult. And we were sort of, Kind of bad about that for a lot, quite a while. I mean, so, I mean, there are a couple of approaches to test performance, and um, sometimes you can write a unit test for it. I'm not sure whether you ever use this approach, uh, but one thing that I occasionally do is like if if I implement some kind of shortcut that's supposed to be faster, in some that's only applicable to some situations, I write a unit test that make that is supposed to take the shortcut. But then I monkey patch out the regular slow path. And that way I know <laughs> that the regular slow path isn't taken in this specific case where the shortcut should apply. So, I think that's a brilliant hack that I've never thought of before. Right. Uh, 
of you, you could use monkey patch or mocking to, to right, basically exactly. yeah. stub out the part that you're not using exactly. to make if to make it break if you got there mm -hmm. you could even throw an assert in there or something exactly. like that and then and then basically if if you hit the the slow general path then you know that the shortcut isn't working properly and interesting um so so, so that's one uh, one thing we we do quite regularly but then the real thing that we have which is a is a bit different than uh, many unit tests is that we have unit tests that check that if you have a small snippet of python code and you run it on top of pypy then the JIT will produce machine code for it. And we have tests that make sure that um, the machine code for that snippet is in a very precise shape. Right? And we don't, we, we don't really want to check the assembler instructions because those always like change a little bit and they would be really brittle. Um, so we do, and it would also be machine dependent, of course. So uh, the unit tests would work differently between like x86 and ARM, which we both support. Um, so those tests work like one level up. The JIT has this um, thing called an intermediate representation, which is like a machine-independent representation of machine code. And we can kind of dump that. And um, then we have tests that check that for some Python code, if you run it, the JIT will produce this kind of uh, intermediate representation. Okay. And uh, we do it for stuff like, oh, let's make sure that if you have an, a class where uh, some attribute is write-only, right? Um, it's it's only like it's immutable. Like some attribute of of some class is uh, immutable. We observe that it that it's always immutable. We we want to be able to constant fold reads out of that, that attribute, and we want to make sure that we have a test that the JIT can still do this kind of reasoning. That's it's an interesting way that you put that. So you're even though you're testing in essentially kind of testing implementation, you're not even though you're using. The intermediate language, which was, seems like it would be testing implementation, you're not really. You're testing the behavior of it. You're testing, like in this case, that you've created a constant out of something that right could have been a variable. Yeah, exactly. And then, then basically, the test would say, "Oh, um, it's supposed to be a constant here, but I'm really seeing that it's that it's a variable that you read out of something, and that that something is the instance. So that means that the uh, the JIT couldn't track that the instance is uh, immutable and uh, something broke. Interesting. Um, and yeah, but they also, they're, I mean, they're super useful. They catch really bad problems, like very regularly, but they're also a little bit brittle because sometimes um, there are sort of changes in the intermediate representation that are okay, right? That don't yeah. really, that are equivalent and, and sort of equivalently efficient, but slightly different. And yeah. um, so those are that kind of high maintenance tests. We um, we need to sort of look after them quite regularly. Yeah. So that's a, and I guess that's a good a good lesson for everybody that there are some there's sometimes where you've got um, high value tests that are high maintenance also. Um, exactly. It's the low the high maintenance low value ones that you want to get rid of. Right. Uh, yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. And and then. I mean, the other thing that we do to track performance that's not really completely automated is um, um, this website called speed.pypy.org. And that's kind of like an, an integration test uh, sort of thing. And uh, there we nightly, uh, every night we run our benchmark suit, on a, which contains a, a bunch of benchmarks. And sort of we have okay. these graphs, how the performance changes over time. Um, and then basically when we see that there's this huge dip uh, in some benchmark, 
um, on some day we um, we can sort of look into what changed that day to figure out what like what we broke. Interesting. So, did you guys come up with the benchmarks, or are these some sort of standard benchmark? Uh, I mean, we collected the benchmarks, and they have been relatively widely adopted. I think there's now okay. speed.python.org, which is using like a fork of that benchmark set, I think. Okay. Um, and it's also using a more uh, like a, a more modern version of the same software that shows the performance over time. Well, it's interesting because like I'm, I'm looking through a few of them are things like there's uh, some suites around uh, using Twisted, mm -hmm. um, which I just uh, uh, inter interviewed Glyph recently, so oh, that's cool. interesting. Um, and then things like uh, SQL Alchemy, making sure that that you know some right. of those changes. There's SQL, and Sphinx, SQL, yeah, yeah, interesting. SQL Alchemy and Sphinx are actually one of our uh, bad benchmarks. <laughs> there, there's sort of <laughs> areas for improvements, like. Um, well, well, Django's in there. How's Django do? Django's doing pre pretty well. I mean, so we have some okay. we have some people that are deploying Django on PyPy because it a lot of things are uh, quite good. For example, um, for example, um, something that we do pretty well on is uh, all kinds of templating, right? Because string string manipulation is something that we that we optimize uh, relatively well. Okay, and there's a lot of that in templates. So, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's this is not a pass or fail thing that tells you automatically. It's just you need to look at it, and um, it, well, it's also it's kind also, of yeah. Go ahead. It's cool that it's public, so that somebody can go. Well, I mean, yeah, I could just try it out and see if my application is faster. But if also just curious if the thing I'm using is also being tested already. Right. Well, but in it. in the end, you need to do that, though, right? I mean, there's. Yeah. I mean, no benchmark is really representative of of what you're doing, and so nothing really, nothing really um, comes close to just uh, right, uh, trying the thing that you really care about, which is your own code. Um, okay. Yeah, I mean that, that makes sense, and but and I also I think it's interesting that you, you mentioned that it's still it's not a the benchmarks aren't really a pass or fail; it's a way for people to keep track of it. And right. look at it and yeah yeah i mean sometimes it's also this kind of it's a bit of a judgment call right for example um not every optimization is able to to improve everything and so sometimes we have cases like oh this optimization makes um almost all of our benchmarks 50 percent faster and like this is an extreme example right but uh, almost all of them are a lot faster but there's one that is 10 percent slower right right so and then Right. Yeah. Would you? T is that a good thing or a bad thing then at that point? Right? Exactly. So, right. And then, then yeah. you need to then you need human judgment to decide: do we want it? And then you sort of need to uh, look at: is is the ten percent case like really common? Do we expect it to occur all the time, or is the fifty percent? And it also um, depends on the numbers, of course. Right. So yeah. if it's if it's five percent and fifty percent, you probably want it. But if it's like five percent and five percent, then you might not want it. So yeah. yeah. Um, another thing that's kind of interesting about benchmark suite is that they use they lose their usefulness over time. So um, mm -hmm. we add new benchmarks and then we work on them and they get better. But sort of it's this convergence process, and at some point we aren't able to improve them anymore. And then something useful to do is, is to add a whole bunch of new benchmarks. Um, oh, so the so why why would why would that be useful? So that you can. Uh... Well, you you want to add things that you're that you're not so great so far at optimizing, right? 
I mean, of course, you can also add things that, that you already know you're good at. But uh, what's more interesting is to sort of add things where you, um, where you observe that um, CPython is, is quite a bit better. Right? And then, well, then, you have to, then you have to do a research project, figure out why. Exactly. Right. Then, okay. we, then we need to look into things. And, and quite often we can then like, add optimizations to, to fix those cases, particularly if, the, like, if it's something that we judge to be common. Yeah. Uh, interesting. The, one of the things I was thinking about is um, you started working on, on this as a, a student mm-hmm. um, and you are working at a university now. Mm-hmm. Is, is this a primarily, is this a, a project that opens, is it an open source project that other people can work on or is it just a, is it just a university thing? No, no, it's, I mean, it had a really intense research phase, but um, now it's really much more in the, Let's. I mean, it has always it has always been an open source project that people were super welcome to join, um, but it had this like it had this research component, right? Particularly okay. the whole JIT generation thing is was relatively researchy and still is a little bit researchy. But um, it is definitely an open source project, and we were definitely happy to like have people contribute. And I would also argue that it's. Um, not as tough to get into as one could sort of think at uh, first uh, sight because, uh, like, for a couple of reasons. One of them is it's all Python, right? I mean, you, you know this okay. stuff, right? So in CPython, yeah. one of the hurdles, if you want to get involved, is you need to learn this whole other language, which isn't really that friendly. And sure, you can still work on the standard library, but if you want to get into the language core, you, you really need to learn something that's very different and, and um, really unfriendly in many ways. And in PyPy, all this stuff is written in slightly weird Python, but still just Python that you can apply all the Python tools that you that you know. Yeah. Um, and the other thing why it's relatively uh, uh, friendly to get into is that it's quite well com- com- uh, compartmentalized, right? Because um, the JIT thing, the JIT component, is completely separate from from the interpreter. Right? That gets added almost completely automatically. So um, you can work on the interpreter, and it's really, quote-unquote, just an interpreter. And um, you don't really need to care about the fact that there's this, this weird component that, that does special stuff to make everything fun. Most of the time, uh, you, you, you're just concerned with getting the behavior correct. Uh, and okay. you can focus on that. And you don't really need to know how this... I mean, you, you can use the, the JIT thing as a black box that you don't really need to think about. Okay. Now, how about is Mercurial kind of a hurdle for anybody that wants to get started? That is true. So that that is actually a discussion we're having because I mean we are on a fork of uh, GitLab, right? So if you if you've used GitLab, it, it looks familiar, but it's a fork of GitLab that uh, some company has been working on that supports Mercurial instead of Git. So Mercurial is like. Uh, Getting less used nowadays now that CPython is no longer on it, and yeah, many many projects are moving away from it. So yeah. that is a bit of a hurdle. And um, unfortunately, yeah. I think it's the Betamax story. Well, yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, it's definitely something we're discussing, and it's. I mean, we are definitely interested in in people like joining us and and uh, getting into it and helping out. And if uh, somebody's interested, feel free to also just contact both the mailing list or me personally. I'm I'm always ha- uh, happy to like talk to people and um 
so uh, PyPy is a is a three nine implementation. Three ten is you you mentioned that it's it's always a little behind. But is there a is there like a is it usually just one behind? Is that the goal? Is to is to be like like when three eleven comes out, you guys will up be up to three ten sort of thing or. Yeah, that would be good. I think one behind is is kind of something that is relatively acceptable because most people aren't really doing cutting edge C Python things all the time, right? Yeah. Um, so there were basically different phases for a while. We were we were sort of falling behind more and more, and I spent quite a bit of effort in the last year to sort of try to get us to be much closer to where C Python is. Um, and yeah, right now I think we have a little bit like. Uh, we can catch our breath a little bit, right? <laughs> because yeah. we're just one behind. And uh, 3.10 is also, I mean, sometimes there are these C Python versions that are just absolutely massive. And yeah. 3.10 is sort of this intermediate thing. It, it, uh, it has some new features, but it's, it doesn't feel as huge as, for example, 3.8 did. Um, yeah. And so this year, I want to like focus on some other things. Like, for example, I... I was talking about coverage being super extra slow on PyPy, and that's one thing that I would kind of look into to just make it slightly less annoying to uh, to <laughs> add a, to to add a PyPy runner on your uh, GitHub Actions. It's on the server as long as it's done by the time my lunch breaks over, I'm good. <laughs> right. Anyway, well, this has been very interesting. I I I'm glad that you reached out to me to to talk yeah, about th- this. Thanks this so much for having great. me. Um. And uh, good luck with uh, with raising kids <laughs> and with Pi and everything. No, it's it's great. They're 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 really great. Thank you, Carl. Fascinating stuff. Thank you, Patreon supporters. You know, I regularly thank Patreon supporters, but that really doesn't seem like enough. What they do seems small, but it's really huge. I can see the download counts of each episode to see how many people are listening to the show, and that's great. But to know that some of you are willing to give a buck or two per episode just to keep this thing going, that's really huge, and it has a huge effect on me, so thank you. But also, every listener, I hope you get value from the show, or at least find it interesting. If either, consider sharing it with a friend or two and help the show grow. Show notes and links are at testandcode.com. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Take care.